Open your Bible now to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We live in a day when a lot of folks struggle with responsibility. Many times they struggle with really being willing to be accountable for their life, for how they live, for how they act, for the way they speak, or for the attitudes that they manifest. And many times I've found, and I'm sure you've found too, that folks find an excuse for the way they are, often based on something that happened in their past. I don't know how many times in pastoral ministry or in this ministry somebody has said, well, you know, this is the way I am, but it's because of what happened back then. Somebody might say, you know, when I grew up, my parents didn't show me much love. And I really have struggles showing my children love. Or a man will say, well, you know, I grew up and boy, I was abused and, and I had a lot of problems in my home and, and now I have a problem with temper and it's because of the way I grew up. Now, you know, we could talk about everything under the sun and realize that much of the heartache and trials and troubles that have happened to people in life could be represented in this room. In other words, if we talk, well, what happened to you? What happened to you? What was it like when you grew up? What was your dad like? What was your mom like? Were you rich? Were you poor? Were you sick? Were you healthy? You know, we could talk about it and probably come up with a whole lot of mess in our past. Now listen, it's back there for many of us. But you know something? Whatever's back there cannot become our excuse for failing to go on and be the person that God wants us to be today. In other words, the heartache I might have had in my past cannot get in the way of me becoming the man or the husband or the dad that God wants me to be. I have to accept responsibility for my life. I have to be accountable for at least four areas. My words, can't blame on anybody else. My attitudes, I can't blame on anybody else. My actions, I cannot blame on anybody else. And my thought life, I cannot blame on anybody else. I can't point the finger and say, well, I did what I did because he did what he did. Listen, it doesn't matter what he did. I am responsible for the way I live, and I have to accept that. Now, that's what this wonderful passage of Hebrews 12 is really all about. Here are people who received this letter who had gone through some very, very tough times. And for a while, they evidently had experienced some victory in their life. But by the time they got this letter, they were struggling just like a lot of people are struggling today. And I want the Lord to minister to our hearts tonight from this very important text. Look with me as I read just verse 5 before we pray together. The writer says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask you to minister to us tonight, to challenge us, to instruct us, to move in our hearts so that where we need to be changed, you'll make the change. That we might leave here and be different than when we came in and by your grace never be the same again. 
I pray especially for folks who might be struggling with the very areas that we're touching on tonight, that there might be a healing brought to their heart, their soul, and their mind. We'll give you thanks. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at verse 5 again? The writer says to these people, Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now the writer says to these people who were going through a very hard time, he says, you know one of your problems? There's something in the Bible that you have forgotten. And he said, I want to remind you of it. And he says, I want to take you back, and he takes them back to the book of Proverbs and quotes to them from the book of Proverbs, the third chapter. And that quotation is this, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now he said, you have forgotten this, but I want to remind you of it. I want to remind you of this very important challenge. Now let's look for a moment at the term chastening. Because it's an interesting term. The term chastening is a term that sometimes is rendered in the Bible instruction, or it can be rendered with the idea of training and discipline. And when I think of my life, and when you think of your life, I challenge you to do the same thing, that we ought to think of ourselves as being in what I like to call the training program of God. You know God's at work in your life, and God is at work in my life, and God allows some things to come into our lives, and God does some things in our lives. As a matter of fact, you think about your past, and there is absolutely nothing that has ever occurred in your life that either was not done directly by the hand of God or was at least allowed by God. Because our God is sovereign. Our God is in charge. So nothing could happen that God did not at least allow. And the reason God allows it is it's a part of the chastening, the training, the discipline that God is trying to work in our lives. And so the challenge of this scripture is this. Don't despise the training and the discipline of God that's going on in your life. Now, whether we like it or not, a part of that training experience in life is hurt and heartache and trial and trouble. And nobody is exempt from that. Sometimes we wish we could be, but we're not. Everybody in this room has gone through hurt and heartache in life. And the challenge is, but don't despise the training that God is trying to bring about in your life through all of those experiences. Now, I'm sure you're like me. I kind of like those mountaintop experiences, don't you? I like it when you go away and you have one of those times and you just rejoice in it and you praise God. Oh, man, what a great time we had. But you know, if you're standing right on top of the mountain, just imagine yourself being right on top of a mountain. Now, if you take one step, what direction are you going to go? Going down, aren't you? In other words, you can't live up there all the time, can you? You have to keep on going through life. And whether we like to admit it or not, there are some things, folks, that you learn in the valley that you can't learn on the mountaintop. 
There are some things of this training program that you have to learn when you're down here. And that is, of course, when we tend to despise the training of God. That's when we say, hey, I don't like what's going on in my life. But you know something? There's no way around it. The Lord Jesus said this in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. He said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In other words, he said, you can't go through life without getting hurt. You can't go through life without people offending you. You can't go through life without people letting you down. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. Now, he went on to say, woe unto him by whom they come. You and I don't want to be the offender, but it's a part of life to be offended. It's a part of life to be hurt. And there's no way around it. Now, the problem is this. The problem is in verse 5, it says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. And then it says this, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, the word faint is an interesting word because literally it means to relax. But the idea is that you are intensely involved in an activity, a battle, and then all of a sudden you relax. In other words, all of a sudden you quit struggling. You stop. You just throw in the towel. You're not going to be involved in the conflict anymore. Now listen, have you ever said this or ever heard somebody say it? I can't take any more. You ever been there? Can't take it anymore. I'm done. I, can't, I just can't take any more. And so what happens? People faint. They quit. I'm not trying anymore. I'm done trying. It doesn't pay off to try. No matter what I try, it doesn't work. I'm struggling in my marriage. I don't care anymore. I'm struggling with my parents. I don't care anymore. I'm struggling at church. I don't care anymore. The pressures come, and too many people today are quitting. They're just stopping. God wants us to know that can't happen, folks. You see, you and I have to face the fact that there is no way to escape trial and trouble here on this earth. The challenge is not for us to escape. The challenge is for us to learn how to handle it, to learn how to respond to it, to grow through the trials and troubles. Not quit. But there's an awful lot of people who've quit. And many times it's, well, what he did to me, I can't possibly become what God wants me to be because of what happened to me. What he said to me, what he did to me, well, I just can't go on. Hey, you have to go on. You have to learn what God has for you. Now look down in this text. We can't deal with it all tonight, but I want you to jump down to verse 10. Because in verse 10, the writer is going to show us a contrast between our earthly fathers and our heavenly father. Look at verse 10 when it says this, For they verily, talking about earthly fathers, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Did you know that's how your earthly dad handled you once in a while? And maybe if you're an earthly dad, that's how you handled your kids once in a while. We chastened, we disciplined after our own pleasure. 
In other words, one day the kids are squabbling, you know, in the family room or whatever it might be, and dad walks in and says, okay, stop the fighting. You sit there, you sit there, you sit there. I don't want to hear another sound out of you for the next 15 minutes. Do you understand? Now, who's dad doing that for? Is he doing it to teach them lessons? Well, supposed to be. But many times he's just doing it because he wants some peace and quiet. So he's set on everything down because he's tired of all the noise. So he is disciplining after his own pleasure. But the verse goes on and it points us to God. And here's what it says. But he for our profit. You know that God never did anything in your life and God never allowed anything in your life but that it was intended to be for your profit. That's our God. Whatever he did, whatever he allowed from his perspective, he said, I will make this happen or I will let this happen, but God says, I am going to do it for this person's profit. Now, of course, on the other side of that picture is the devil. And he's trying to do things in our lives and create problems in our lives. And his purpose and intent is that he might destroy us. And you know something? He's having great success. Many people are being destroyed by the hurts and the heartaches and the trials and the troubles instead of growing and learning. I'm convinced that it is not so much a matter of what happens in our life it is a matter of how we respond to it that will make the difference. At our church in Westchester, we had a Bible teacher come from time to time. Some of you may have heard of him because he was in the Philadelphia area for years. His name was Dr. George Mundell. And we would have Dr. Mundell come to our church and do kind of a spiritual life conference from time to time. And whenever he came, he would somewhere along the line reintroduce us to this thought. And I want to share it with you tonight. He said this, I must see every person and every circumstance that ever comes into my life as the Holy Spirit of God coming to me through that person or through that circumstance to make me more like Christ. I want you to think about it. It is not simply the good people. It is not simply the good circumstances. It is people, good or bad. Circumstances, good or bad. I have to see all of that as the Spirit of God coming to me. And he's going to use those people, good or bad, or those circumstances, good or bad, to make me like Christ. That's what is intended in this verse when the latter part of the verse says this, that we might be partakers of his holiness. To be holy is to be separate from sin. It is to become like Christ. Let me illustrate from my experience in pastoring by telling you about two people. The one was a young lady who had a baby, and that baby died. And I was asked to go and see her. Her sister, who was a member of our church, said, Would you go see my sister in the hospital? And this guy was a professing Christian, but had never lived very close to the Lord. 
But I went to the hospital and I began to talk to her and sit down with an open Bible and I tried to minister to her from the Word of God. And I didn't get very far that she just cut me off. And she said, Pastor Griffith, you don't know how I feel. You've never lost a child. You've never had a baby die. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand. And I had not gone through that experience. And so she just cut me off and I graciously left. There was a man in our church who had a 13-year-old son, and one day that boy was out delivering newspapers. And a man was driving down the road and fell asleep. He was pulling the trailer, and he awakened when his car went off the road, and he turned the car and got it back on the road. But the trailer he was pulling went off the side of the road and came along and hit that 13-year-old boy and killed him instantly. Now, I saw that man and his wife just run to God. They just opened their heart to the Lord. Their attitude was, Lord, surely you love us. You didn't let this happen because you don't love us. Surely there is a reason, there's a purpose why you've allowed this tragedy into our lives. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. They just opened their heart to God. And God ministered to them. And through that tragedy, God strengthened them and used them. In fact, I just received a, a, a note from that man not long ago and saw him personally even a little bit beyond that, and he has shared with me that, that now he is out speaking from time to time and sharing from that experience what God has done in his life, and he's ministering to people who have lost children. Well, the day that girl said to me, Pastor Griffith, you don't understand... You've never been there. You don't know how I feel. I said, you know, I know somebody who does understand. And so I went to him and I said, would you go see her? Would you go talk to her? And he went and sat down in that hospital room and began to talk to her and could say, you know, I know exactly how you feel. I know what you've been through. But I want to show you what God has done in my life. Virtually the same experience, the same tragedy. What made the difference? What made the difference, folks, was the response of those people to God. That's what made the difference. And so it is in our lives. You and I could begin to share experiences, and sometimes we say that very thing to people. We say, hey, you don't know how I feel. You don't know what I've been through. I've had many people make that kind of a statement. You don't know. I do know this. I know what makes the difference is how you respond to God. There is a God in heaven who is able and willing to minister to you and to me if we'll let him. Would you notice the next verse in this text? Verse 11 says this. Now... No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. You know what that is, folks? That's God saying to you and to me, Hey, I understand that the experiences of life often hurt deeply. You ever see a little boy run across the parking lot? 
He goes charging across the parking lot. Down he goes on his face. He slides for about six feet. He stands up. He's got cinders in his knees. He's bleeding down his arm. You know, he's just standing there and he's crying. And old dad runs over, picks him up and says, you're not hurt. Okay. You know, God never says that to you. You know, God never says that to me. God never comes to us in the midst of our hurts and say, hey, it doesn't hurt. No, God says, no, hey, I understand it hurts. God says, I know it hurts. I know how you feel. The chastening experiences of life are not joyous. They're grievous. God says, I understand that. But now the verse goes on and he says this. He says, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Trials and the troubles of life are used by God to, in fact, produce in us a greater righteousness in serving the Lord. What a message from God to us. Now, look at the next couple of verses. Because these verses are based on what are really promises from verses 10 and 11. And the promises of verses 10 and 11 are basically this. God says, hey, I'll never let anything come into your life except it be for your profit. God says, I'll never let anything come into your life except that I intend it to make you more holy. I'll never let any hurt or heartache or trial or trouble come into your life except that I'm willing to use it to produce a greater righteousness in you. What promises? That's why we read in verses 12 and 13, look. Wherefore? Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Let it rather be healed. You know what those verses are addressing? They're addressing what we've all suffered with from one time to another. They're addressing self-pity. They're addressing people who feel sorry for themselves. He says, hey, lift up the hands which hang down. You ever seen this person? Oh, what I've been through. Oh, 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 you don't know how I've suffered. Hey, lift up the hands which hang down. Stop going through life like that. What about the feeble knees? They're wobbling through. I don't know if I can take another step. All oh, the pressure, all oh, the trouble. Oh, I just can't make it. I can't go on. Hey, get strength in those legs. That which is lame, he says, is going to be turned out of the way. In other words, if you think it hurts now, there's more hurt to come if you don't get moving in the right direction. You need to renew purpose, renew direction, get going again for God. He says this in the last part of that verse, let it rather be healed. God says, Christian, you've got to stop going through life feeling sorry for yourself. And you know, a lot of people live there. A lot of people can tell you about all they've been through and what people did to them and how people made them suffer and how their dad did this and their mom did that and somebody else did that. All oh, the people in that church and what they did. It's like God says, hey, stop, wait a minute. God says, you can't live back there. Yeah, there's hurts and heartaches. Everybody has it. But God says, don't you understand my intent in allowing you to go through that? Was that you might grow? That you might learn? That you might come out stronger, not weaker? 
So he says, let it rather be healed. God says, let me heal you. Now, I sometimes feel when I get to this portion of the Scripture that somebody's sitting out there saying, oh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I've been through. And that's true, I don't. And I'll tell you this, some of the stories that are shared with us today are heartbreaking stories. Because there are people who have gone through much. There are people who have gone through verbal abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse. There are people who have been hurt deeply in life. And I want you to know, I marvel sometimes at the hurt that some people experience in life. I really do. But you know something? There's a God in heaven who is great enough to minister to you. It's not a matter of whether he is able. He is. It is a matter of whether or not we will receive from him. That's for you. That's for me. Now notice verse 14. Verse 14 is a very important text. It challenges us in a couple of ways. It first of all says this, follow peace with all men. The term follow means to pursue, to go after. He says, hey, look, first thing you got to do here, you have to pursue peace with all men. You can't go through life angry. You can't go through life holding a grudge. You have to pursue peace. The reason I think that's put there is because most of the time, folks, the source of our hurt is other people. Most of the time, if we were to share together tonight the hurts that we've been through, the heartache we felt, we would all be able to identify a person. But God says, but you can't live there. You have to pursue peace with people. Not anger. Not the grudge. Not maliciousness. The desire to get back. You can't live there. Follow peace with all people. And then he says this, and holiness. In other words, and you also have to follow or pursue holiness. We likened that a moment ago to being like Christ. And that's how you and I have to look at life. You have to say, hey, whatever I go through, I want to come out of those experiences becoming more like him. Now, why is that important, those two things? Because of the last part of the verse. It says this, without which... No man shall see the Lord. Now that little term, seeing the Lord, is not talking about dying and going to heaven and seeing the Lord. If you're saved, you're going to die, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to see the Lord, should Jesus tarry. The term see in that verse is a term that means to perceive, to understand. And the idea is this, if I go through life angry and mad at people, carrying a grudge against somebody, and I go through life not being concerned about becoming like Christ, but just feeling sorry for myself, I'll never understand what God is trying to do in my life. And you know, I want to understand that. Don't you? Wouldn't you like to get just a little taste of it? Lord, if you let me go through this, and there was a reason for it, there was something you were trying to teach me, some lesson I was to learn, Lord, I don't want to miss it. I want to know. If you grew up in terrible poverty, you realize God had a reason for that. Have you come to understand what it was all about? 
how He could use you as a result of that, that you'd have never been used without it. I think of that man who lost that 13-year-old boy. I think he's come to believe that God let him go through that deepest of tragedies so that he could now use him in a greater way to minister to people. It's like he said, I will not let that tragedy in my life be in vain. There was something that I was to learn, a way that I was to grow, and I want it. I want to see what God was trying to do in my life. And so many people miss that and continue to wallow in self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Oh, what I went through. God had a reason. Don't miss it. Now, what happens when we fail to do those things? We never come to understand what God's doing in our life. Well, here's what verse 15 says. He says, looking diligently. You look diligently for what God is doing in your life. Look, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Did you know that whenever you and I get hurt or offended, that immediately God is there to minister to us by His grace? You remember the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul? It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us this, that he had received from God abundant revelations. He says, a man, I'm convinced it was him, he received from God abundant revelations. And then he says this, Lest I should be exalted above measure, the messenger of Satan came and buffeted me. Now we don't know what that means. Paul referred to that buffeting as a thorn in the flesh. And nobody is really sure what that was. Some think it was an eye problem. Others think it was something else. But somehow there was this thorn in the flesh that came into Paul's life. And Paul says this, he said, three times I went to God and I asked God to take that thing away. But he said, God wouldn't do it. God's answer to my request was no. I'm not taking that away. But then he went on and he said this, he said, and this is the verse you know, but my grace is sufficient for you. And that's where Paul found his victory. The circumstance did not change, but the grace was sufficient. And the reason that's important is because the thing that tonight could be a source of defeat and hurt in your life is something maybe from the past that can't be changed. You're stuck with it. The hurt is there, the heartache is there, and it lingers inside your mind, and it serves as a source of defeat and discouragement. And you live back there saying, boy, what happened to me? Well, that'll never be changed. But God's grace is sufficient if you'll receive it. Remember Jacob when Joseph was taken and sold into slavery? Jacob thought he was dead. They brought the coat back, the many-colored coat with animal blood. He said, he's dead. And the Bible says that Jacob refused to be comforted. That's how a lot of people are today. Nobody denies the reality of the hurts and the heartaches, folks. But you and I must not refuse to be comforted. We must open our heart to God and let Him minister to us by His grace. And the reason that is important is because verse 15 goes on and says this. 
looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, one of the great plagues on the church today, the body of Christ today, is the plague of bitterness. Because we've been hurt. People have hurt you. There's nobody here who's exempt from hurt. Maybe it's been somebody who's been very close to you who failed you. Maybe it's been a pastor. Maybe it's been a youth leader. Maybe it's been somebody, you know, in your family. I don't know, but you can't go through life without being hurt. That I know. But the Bible says, look, if you don't let God minister to you and comfort you, if you don't let the grace of God be sufficient, then you put yourself in danger of becoming bitter. And nobody in this room can afford bitterness. If you're bitter, you're of no value to God. Because bitterness is an outgrowth of our pride. And the Bible says the God of heaven resists the proud. He only gives grace to the humble. And if you're bitter tonight, you're of no value to your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents. Bitterness is destructive. Bitterness eats away and tears up people on the inside. You have to deal with that. We were in Ephesians 4 this morning in Sunday school. Would you go back there with me to Ephesians 4? We didn't have time to complete this which is okay because I knew we'd get back here tonight. There aren't, aren't limitations on the evening service, you know. So in the morning service, you got radio. And the Sunday school, you got the morning service. And tonight, you might get mad and leave, but I pretty well got you here for a few more minutes. But look what it says. Look at verse 31. What's it begin with? Let all bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Remember Paul said this, hey, you're saved and you're going to heaven, but you can't live grieving the Holy Spirit as described in verse 31. Folks, you can't live in verse 31. You can't afford to live there. And so verse 32 tells us what to do about it. Because there might be hurt in your life, there might be somebody in your life, and you say, hey, what he did, what she did, and it's still there. Well, verse 32 tells us what to do about it. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I won't spend too long here, but I want to deal with these things. It says, Be kind one to another. Now, the kids in the beginner's department learn that as a memory verse, don't they? Be ye kind one to another. Now, listen, in the context of the discussion of Ephesians 4, to whom are you supposed to be kind? Who do you think? Just yell it out. To others, right? Is that what you said? To others? Your enemies. You are the first lady who has ever said that. And she's right on target. You know who that verse is telling you and me to be kind to? That verse is saying, you be kind to the person who has been the source of the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and the clamor and the evil speaking and the malice of verse 31. You see, the world lives being kind to people who are kind to them. And that's where you and I live sometimes, don't we? Hey, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. 
You love me, I'll love you. But if you're not nice to me, why should I be nice to you? But the Bible says, Christian, you can't live in that mess. You've got to get up here on higher ground. There are people who will not be kind to you. People who will hurt you. But you, be kind to them. Now let me ask you this. Who's the last person in the world you and I want to be kind to? I asked that question one time at church. A little girl in the back said, my brother. But I think she had a point. You know, if somebody has been the source of hurt in your life, you, to get some real victory, need to say, Lord, if you give me the opportunity, I'll be kind to that person. Second little part of the verse, one word, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. We get in trouble, folks, because we let ourselves get hard-hearted. We let ourselves get calloused. We, we manifest this attitude. Hey, never again. You ever heard that one? Never again. I'm never going to let that person hurt me again. I'm never going to put myself in a place where they can hurt me again. That's a hard heart. And again, you and I are of no value to God if you've got a hard heart. You're no value to the service of this church if you have a hard heart. You and I have to beg God, Lord, keep me tender-hearted. Now, I'll tell you the trouble with a tender heart. When you have a tender heart, you're putting yourself at risk to get hurt. You see, as soon as you extend yourself to somebody, as soon as you say, hey, I'm going to love that person, then you realize you're taking a chance of getting hurt. Hey, I'm going to serve again. Well, you're liable to get hurt again. And nobody wants to get hurt. But you and I have to go through life as Christians saying this, I don't want to be hurt, but I'm willing to be hurt again. I have to have a tender heart. And then it says this, it says, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now folks, I made mention of it this morning. I want to emphasize it tonight. You and I must forgive people. You must forgive people. You got to do it. Somebody says, well, I'll tell you what, if I forgive him, does that mean I'm saying what he did is okay? No, you're not saying that. If I forgive him, does it mean I'm saying it's okay if he does it again? No, you're not saying that. What does it mean to forgive? I like this one. Sometimes people say this. Well, I'll tell you, if he ever comes back to me and apologizes, I might forgive him. May I tell you something? He's not coming. He's not coming. Don't go through life waiting for the person who hurt you to come back and apologize. He's not coming. He's probably out hurting somebody else. He's not coming back to apologize to you. And so you say, well, then I'm not forgiving him. Well, let me ask you this. So who's suffering? Who's suffering? I mentioned Brother Mundell. I heard this story about him. He did not tell the story, but I heard it, you know, third hand, maybe fourth hand, whatever. But the story went like this, that when he was in Bible college, somebody hurt him. And so that night he went to his room, started to go to bed, and he got in his bed, and he couldn't sleep. He's tossing and turning, you know, kind of like, oh, man, what that guy did to me. Oh, man, what he did to me. You ever been there? You know, somebody said something, somebody did something. Now, the story is this, that as he lay there tossing and turning, murmuring, complaining, whatever was going on, he said it was like the Holy Spirit said to him, George, you know the guy that hurt you is probably in the next room sleeping like a baby. 
you're the one being destroyed. Doesn't seem fair, does it? He's guilty. How come I can't sleep? Because that bitterness will destroy us. It'll destroy you. He may never come back. But why don't you forgive him? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, you and I say, well, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That's why. Well, guess what? You and I didn't deserve to be forgiven either. And the whole basis of forgiveness is that Jesus died on that cross. Died for your sins. Died for my sins. And listen, the foundation of forgiveness, whether it be God forgiving us, is the cross. Or whether it be us forgiving each other, is the cross. So you and I have to forgive him. Because we're the ones who are being destroyed. We're the ones who are being eaten up. We're the ones who have our joy taken away. Our excitement about spiritual things is taken away because of what somebody else did to us. You've got to forgive them. Now let me help you understand in the next couple of minutes, and we'll close, let me help you understand exactly what's involved in forgiveness. We turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul helps us understand this matter. He says in verse 17, Recompense to no man evil for evil. We are not living in the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth age. So you don't recompense to any man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That means you and I are supposed to live right. doesn't matter what anybody else does. We're supposed to live right. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You say, well, there's some. It's not possible. Well, I guess that's why God put that verse in there. But as much as you can, live peaceably with all men. Now, verse 19 is the key text. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know what the word forgive means? Take the word and just translate it. It means this, to let go. That's what forgive means, let go. And the challenge for you and for me, who can sit here tonight thinking of what somebody did, what somebody said, our challenge is let go. You see, the reason people readily come to our minds the reason you might even have somebody in mind right now is because you've been holding on. And God says, hey, let go. Now, what's it mean to let go? Well, God said this. He says, look, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God says, you know that guy that hurt you? Listen, he says, if that guy deserves to have something happen to him, I'll take care of it. God is a God of perfect justice. You know, when all is said and done, folks, everything will be made right. Isn't that wonderful? You and I can rest in that. God is perfect. Whatever's supposed to happen, it's going to happen. So God says to you and me, hey, listen, why don't you stop going through life holding the grudge at that guy? That guy belongs to me. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of him. So why don't you just let go? Let go so you can get free. Let go so you can have joy again. You can have peace again. You don't have to be plagued by that situation. God says, take that guy and give him to me. You let go. Let me have him. That's what God says. 
And I challenge you to do that tonight. You see, this whole thing of bitterness and heartache and grudges, hard-heartedness, ladies and gentlemen, it's destroying churches and it's destroying people. The joy of Christianity is often lost because of this kind of stuff. The excitement about serving the Lord is lost because we carry that stuff with us. And God says, hey, let me heal you. Verse 13, let it be healed. God says, let me heal your mind. Let me heal your, your, your soul. Let me take care of this thing. Let me set you free. Stop carrying this thing. Now, it may be that you're here tonight, and as I've talked about these things, some situations and some people have come to your mind. And that's the source of hurt and heartache that has perhaps really destroyed you, killed your joy. Now, you might say this. You might say, Brother Griffith, I thought we were having a family conference, and here you are talking about this stuff, and, and I'm not sure how this fits in. Well, I want to tell you how it fits in. I want you to know, sir, you'll never be the Christian man or husband or daddy that you ought to be if you're fighting this thing of bitterness. And lady, you'll never be the Christian lady or wife or mom or grandma. You'll never be what you ought to be if you're fighting this thing of bitterness. Let God take that. Give it to Him. Forgive so that you can get free and see what God will do.